magnificent, most ruthless champion has ever been. There's no one can stop me. 50 years younger than I kick your ass. I love you. Welcome back, fight fans. This is your host, Alden Kodash, giving you the blow-by-blow recap of last night's action with my co-host, Jeffrey Fuss. How are you doing tonight, Jeffrey? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. This is uh, We're back. This is a great boxing weekend, even by pre-pandemic standards. Don't you agree? Yeah, I I know we discussed this before in the last episode, but boxing seems to definitely be back. It came back a lot faster than I thought. It just kind of threw us uh, some huge upsets, um, some huge knockouts. Probably the knockout of the year so far last night with Dillian White and Alexander Povietkin, which we'll discuss in a minute. But uh, but yeah, DAZN, ESPN, and Showtime usually. Uh, in the past, these big networks, at least talking about HBO and Showtime, had to tread lightly when telecasting their fights uh, in the same day as another. But, you know, we got three different streaming networks, um, three different sources of great fights. Uh, I said Showtime, I meant Fox, uh, PBC, all the same. We'll start with DAZN, and we were once again in Eddie Hearn's backyard, the fight camp in the UK. Uh for all intents and purposes, this was Taylor versus Person 2 and White versus Povietkin's show. Not too many other big fights on the undercard, but Katie Taylor and Delphine Person, without a doubt, put on, for the second year in a row, the female fight of the year. And honestly, you know, I would throw that in the running with gender-independent uh, fight of the year status because these, these girls can really crack, and they really <laughs> their styles mesh really well against one another. Uh, Persone fell short once again of the victory. I had her just like in the last fight winning 96-94 after the 10 rounds. How did you see the fight? I, and maybe it's me just falling for, uh, you know, boxing pundits giving their opinion. Uh, I had Taylor edging this fight and mostly just due to cleanliness of the punches. But for the first fight, I was one of the individuals at home, probably tweeting up a storm, really upset that Persone took a loss because I felt her aggressiveness should have won her that first encounter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a classic battle of uh, clean punching and effective aggressiveness. Unfortunately, those are just two criteria that are not weighted. (laughs) Two of the four criteria under the the Association of Boxing Commissions that judges are to score on. So it's really uh, take it or leave it, um, whether or not you like the clean punching of Katie Taylor or effective aggressiveness of Delphine Persone. I mean, she landed more punches uh, to my eyes, but they weren't as clean and flush. But at the same time, those clean flush shots that Taylor was landing, Persone, who's really a 130-pound athlete, was walking right through them. So... It was very interesting. Is that girl is tough, man. She literally will take any punch and then continue to press forward. So I know Katie Taylor said in the post fight interview it was like, I'm throwing everything at her, you know, maybe short of the kitchen sink, but she's still standing right in front of me. Yeah. She almost reminds me of Marcos Maidana late in his career. It's just it's not pretty to look at. Uh, but she's always set to punch. She just keeps going. Nothing really deters her. You watch them and you're you're just exhausted after a round or two of watching them, and then they're just going at the same pace in the eighth and ninth round. I, I can't believe it, really. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I wonder, like, is that just because of them, the the girls or, or ladies are unfortunately fighting two-minute rounds compared to the three? Yeah. 
Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's one of the uh, common criticisms of female boxing at this level, at least. Uh, you know, why why uh, why only let them go two minutes? Uh, of course, you know, there's some medical experts that that say females are more susceptible to concussions and they need to go lesser rounds, but. Now, Persona, I think she might have won both fights if these were three-minute rounds, uh, even at the 10-round limit, let alone the 12-round limit. I, I think that just her style and getting to Katie Taylor, especially in the latter half of the fights, uh, you know, I, I think she would have out-hustled her and just worn her out even more than she already did. Yeah, it could help with, uh, I guess I know some of the discussion points. And, you know, to give not too much credit to those who are like against females fighting at three minutes. But I know one thing is they say females don't have enough power to, mm. to produce KOs. But I think if you did transition to that three minute rounds, like Persona probably would rack up a considerable amount of KOs just from wearing her opponents out. Uh, yeah. You know, I guess it could be the same with like Clarissa Shields, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was present for Amanda Serrano's victory over Heather Hardy last year. And uh, if she had three minutes, without a doubt, she would have Hardy out in the first round. Really, uh, Mike Ortega was on the verge of stopping that fight. And the fact that it was a two-minute round cost Heather Hardy another nine rounds of really bad punishment, which is ironic because that probably inflicted more uh, trauma and concussive damage than would have been the case if it was a three-minute fight, three-minute round, and the fight was stopped in the first round. So there's uh, there's plenty of ways to think about it and might be something that we see a change in, in the future. Uh, but at the mean, in, mean, in the meantime, Katie Taylor still wins and retains all the belts at lightweight, including the Ring Magazine belt. And I think it puts her one step closer towards a mega fight with Amanda Serrano. I think that'd be a terrific fight. I would look forward to that one. Uh, specifically, just stylistic matchup. Both are very sharp. Uh, they're very action-packed. And I think right now, I, both of them seem to be calling for it. I know they, that they haven't, you know, they don't have any real animosity towards each other. The fight game is a business. Uh, but if it makes money, it makes sense. Yeah. That or Michaela Mayer right in there with the mix. Uh, she's also like Delphine Persone, five foot nine, also a 130 pound fighter. But she seems a little more filled out, a little more powerful than Persone. And I think some of those elements of Persone's uh, style uh, at least her physicality that gave Katie Taylor some issues uh, might be magnified for a fighter like Michaela Mayer and, and her stature and pedigree. So uh, definitely not easy fights for Taylor. And um, she's terrific, one of the best pound for pound in the world. But I still could see Serrano and Mayer uh, at the right night, at least, uh, defeating her. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm a big fan of Michaela Mayer's work. I'm a Unfortunately, a little biased, but I'm also a big fan of Serrano and Taylor. But if out of out of that whole group, first, I'm always edging towards Mayer. Yeah, no, it's uh, a lot of top-notch action south of Clarissa Shields' land in the 160, 168 pound area in the female boxing world. Uh, a lot of really good fights that can get made, and uh, a lot of reasons to be excited about female fighting in the future. But in the main event. In the DAZN fight camp, we had a not only a huge upset, a huge knockout. We said earlier, probably a knockout of the year candidate, if not the leading candidate for a knockout of the year. Alexander Povietkin, over 40 years of age, coming off an unimpressive draw against Michael Hunter, who was a cruiserweight not too long ago. Uh, he just shocked the heavyweight landscape with a one-punch knockout after he was almost on the verge of being knocked out himself against Dillian White who's unfairly been 
the mandatory challenger for as long as I've ever heard a fighter being the mandatory challenger for a belt. I think it was four years. Dillian White, kind of sad uh, that he had to suffer politics that long and not get a shot and then all of a sudden get knocked out cold by a left uppercut. But Alexander Povietkin, <laughs> I mean, you know, not a huge fan of uh, the past steroid use. You can extend that to a dozen, half a dozen other heavyweights in the top landscape of uh, of the heavyweight picture. But, you know, you can't help but be happy for the guy after what he went through last night and what he did to pull out the victory. I think it goes to shows that you can't, like any fighter, right? Like they can't take any any fight lightly. Povetkin yeah. is a, what, a 40-year-old veteran. He's faced the top cream of the crop of the division, regardless of, I guess, his, his PED testing or him testing positive for, for multiple PEDs. But he's a veteran who is who has a sense of the game. And that just went to go to show his skill set, right? They always say power is the last thing that leaves. Yeah. And clearly, boom, like he landed that punch last night and earned that victory. Yeah, but he set it up like a young fighter. I mean, he was very cagey how he did it. Uh, he sensed the opening, and it was a quick shift to the left and coming up the middle with the uppercut uh the speed also did it uh, his hand speed is something that hasn't uh eluded him lately either as well as his power uh, he stunned anthony joshua wasn't able to get too much done against vladimir klitschko seven years ago but nonetheless he's his uh his hand speed has always been a factor against top-notch heavyweights and uh i, I expect it to be in the future astonishingly <laughs> enough i mean Hell, put him up against Oleksandr Usyk. You know, I thought that fight was going to be kind of a warm welcome to Usyk going into the heavyweight division when it was originally scheduled to take place last year. Got canceled, unfortunately. But I think that's the perfect fight to make right now. That would be a fun fight to watch for anyone, especially, yeah, like you said, Usyk coming into the heavyweight division. I understand, like, Dillian White is now calling for a rematch, and I guess Eddie Hearn is working on that. Yeah, they got the clause. They got the rematch clause, so I expect that to happen next, but... And I guess, you know, with Dillian White having to, you know, all the politics involved with him being the mandatory challenger for so long, I, I kind of feel for him if they were to somehow offer him side step aside money. Mm. But I just don't see that happening. I think he's going to now be striving, right? Like he's now even hungrier than ever, uh, you know, get back into, into contention, I guess, or, you know, just to avenge that loss. Because I don't think that was definitely not what he had planned for last night. No, I mean, he was one punch away from having a the tables uh, turned and having a knockout victory over Povietkin uh, in an earlier fashion than even Anthony Joshua was able to get it done. So that would have been an impressive feather in his cap. He scored two knockdowns in the fourth round. Uh, I, I, I certainly thought that Povietkin was on his way out. I didn't expect him to still be uh, looking to knock his opponent out and setting that up. Uh, usually that's the last thing you expect once a guy has been knocked down twice, two hard knockdowns as well, especially the second one. Uh, so all the credit in the world to Alexander Poviak and what he does next. Personally, I think Usyk, that would be a perfect fight to make. Not the hardest fight to make, considering they're both uh, have some association with matchroom boxing and Eddie Hearn. Uh, but of course, Poviak and White too. Uh, contractually, White has uh, the right to take that fight. Of course, there's the option of step aside money. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see it again at the end of the year. And you know, I'm, I don't think anyone complain about it either. Yeah, no, I think it would. It's definitely going to be sold as a you know a revenge grudge match. Uh, but I mean, I'd watch it again just to see if if he can reproduce the same thing. Yeah. Okay, so ESPN, we go to the bubble 
in the MGM Grand uh, for another top ranked, top notch car. We definitely we showcased a um, we definitely publicized this one a lot. We showcased an interview with a uh, interview with Joe Smith Jr. on an earlier podcast. Uh, we wrote several articles and picks articles about it. Uh, Alida Alvarez, who's the former WBO light heavyweight champion, a huge puncher, a huge guy, way too big to be a light heavyweight. Uh, he got chopped down to size by Joe Smith Jr., uh, you know, former laborer, Union 66, I believe it is. And he was landing bombs all night, finally knocking out leader Alvarez, knocking him halfway out of the ring, almost reminiscent of what he did to Bernard Hopkins in 2016, scoring a knockout in round nine, uh, really putting himself in top-notch contention for almost whatever he wants at light heavyweight. It's just a hell of a victory. What did you make of that performance by Joe Smith? I was surprised. Um, Elidia Alvarez, you know, the first time I, I really ever saw him, well, I understand, like, is a light heavyweight. He kept as- accepting step-aside money uh, yeah. from Adonis Stevenson's camp. And when I first really saw him fight was against uh, Sergey Kovalev. And yeah. that night, that, that first encounter with Sergey Kovalev shocked me. I was like, this guy is huge. Yeah. I was like, is he really a light heavyweight? And then that knockout of Sergey Kovalev, really solidified, man, this guy is the goods. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the rematch, completely different story. So it was like, this guy has his on nights and his off nights, but he's very durable. And yeah. then Joe Smith coming in and like you said, chopping him down. I mean, it's funny because Joe Smith has like, what, a tree chopping business. <laughs> I was like, man, he's, and Joe Smith isn't known for having pillow hands, right? He's, he's a hard puncher. Oh, yeah. And I was it was a huge like you said, it was an impressive win. Yeah. I mean, I I thought that both guys had rock solid chins and rock solid hands. That's why I was so excited for this fight. Uh, I was just surprised that Smith was able to just be so physical with Alvarez, who's so big for that weight. Smith, uh, to me, from standing next to him after his last fight against Jesse Hart, uh, he's not the biggest guy in stature. His hands are huge. Uh, but Alida Alvarez is huge physically, and uh, Smith just beat him up. I mean, he took some big shots from him, don't get me wrong, and walked through them, but Joe Smith Jr. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the guy just, he's a, a working class. I don't, I, you know, I understand before when he was, what, 4 0, early on the scene, right out of uh, out of the amateurs, they called him like the Cinderella man. Yeah. And he just has a, an, an a, a crazy work ethic and you know he's definitely improved from 2016 uh he, he suffered a broken jaw to sullivan barrera yeah and i mean he knocked out bernard hopkins out of the ring Andrew <laughs> so, Fonfaro was a stunning first round knockout <laughs> yeah i mean the guy just is like he he's he doesn't give up like i i really appreciate that from him like no matter who he's in the ring with the guy comes to fight and he's not the cleanest boxer, but he applies consistent pressure. And with those consistent pressure, with the consistent pressure, he unleashes punches. He throws them in bunches, and he's just relentless in his assault. But they're not sloppy. They're, I, I don't know if he's fine tuned his combinations, but they're they're they land and they're hard. He's getting better, I think. And it's it's unusual for a guy that's you know has some tough defeats and has a style that that's so amenable to taking punches to still be getting better at this stage in his career. He's still, like you said, refining his punching. Uh, his uh, he, He's a little tighter defensively. Um, you know, I think after Bavol beat him up, some people might have written him off, but 
the same time, I mean, bring on Artur Baturbia, bring on Jean Pascal, which which might be a more winnable fight for Smith, but you know, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a top. I you know, definitely top ten. You could argue probably top top five. Or he was he's running with those guys, right? Like he already yeah. suffered a loss to Bivol. I think watching him with Artur Baturbia, like I'm not seeing him win that fight, but that's still going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, but Jean Pascal, like that would also be, I think, an action packed night. And anyone who tunes out that fight, I'm I'm going to question if they're real fans of the sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially after last year, uh, Jean Pascal, just some of his uh, stunning performances against Purdue Jack and Marcus Brown coming back from the depths of almost obscurity after some tough losses he faced in the years prior. I think that would be a tremendous fight, Arthur. Or excuse me, Joe Smith Jr. versus Jean Pascal. I think bring it on. The winner gets Beterbiev. The winner gets uh, any of the top-notch guys, even Bivol, again, for both of them, as the surprising heavy- as that sounds. Well, the light heavyweight is de- division is definitely not in need of more talent, right? Like, they're, these guys can box, are hard punches, hard punchers, and they literally, I don't know, like, you just stack. Like, any, it could be anyone's night. Yeah. No, these, these guys... Uh, and it seems like they're more amenable to fighting each other than was the case four or five years ago when Adonis Stevenson and John Pascal and Sergey Kovalev hardly fought each other at all and uh, frustrated the hell out of fans like myself. And uh, yeah, and we eventually graduated on to guys that do unify like Beterbiev and Alexander Vazdik and just keep bringing it on, guys. I mean, <laughs> these are some solid elite light heavyweights that are that are not... Uh, tentative about getting in the ring with each other and producing great fights. I was saying they're not getting any younger, so if they want that money to roll in, now's the time. Definitely. So on the undercard and the co-feature, we had Rob Brent getting the victory, but I think the two big standout performances were from two former top-notch amateurs, Julian Hammerhands Rodriguez and Duke Reagan. Reagan making his pro debut, his first-round knockout over Luis Alvarado, really made a statement, one punch, uh, really caused people to watch some amateur clips of him. And, you know, he's a solid fighter. I'm really excited to see him going forward. Uh, Julian Hammerhands Rodriguez from New Jersey, he improved 20-0 with a first-round knockout over a 13-0 Anthony Loriano, which is, uh, you know, really a sign that at 140, he's getting close to a big elite-level fight. Yeah, I Julian Rodriguez, you know, that was an impressive performance last night. Uh, I, what I've noticed from his offense is, man, he, he's, it kind of reminds me, not, not doesn't remind me, but it, it was like a precursor to the Joe Smith Jr. Eladir Alvarez fight, punches and bunches, combination, setting it up to the body and then going up to the head to switch it up. And then his opponent just kind of wilts over, which I wasn't expecting from a guy who's 13 to no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a huge puncher to a uh, huge one punch puncher to get an impressive string of knockouts behind you. Like Julian J rock. What am I saying? Julian Hammerhands Rodriguez. He'd have a good nickname if he was J rod as well. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, I mean the way he strings them together, like you said, head and body left hook, crisp, solid defense, solid offense. I think he has a very bright future ahead of him. I think him versus, I mean, I don't know if it's too early, but I think he's there at this point, right? Now he's, what, 20-0 and 0 or 21-0? Uh, and, 0, and 0, yeah. Is it 20-0? Okay. And so, like, him facing any of the top tier of the division, I don't know how, how you're feeling about this, but, like, do you think he can run with those guys at the very top of the division? 
I think he needs to fight someone like uh, someone of the caliber of like Julius Ndongo. I think he'd be ready for a fight like that. I mean, Ndongo's got the losses to Terrence Crawford and Regis Progre, and if you know he's still ready to play ball, I think that'd be a great kind of a, a witness test kind of fight for Julian Rodriguez. See how his skills equate to some of the uh, higher pedigree fighters in the division. Uh, 140 pounds is loaded though, and fortunately for him, it's loaded with a lot of guys that have their eyes in the future on going up to 147. We got a big fight next week with Victor Postal and uh, and Jose Re- Jose Ramirez. The winner would probably unify against Josh Taylor, uh, but these are all pretty big fighters for the weight. And uh, you know, even Victor Postal, I'd love to see that fight. Uh, with him and Julian Rodriguez, especially if Postal comes up short. Um, you know, I, I think those are the type of fights that uh, if I was Rodriguez's management, I'd be eyeing. Yeah, fair. I'm I'm a huge fan on Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor. Uh, I understand Regis Progress has moved over to, well, PBC for at least one fight. So, you know, however long it might take to get him back into uh, making a contract with one of these other fighters. But it's definitely there for Julian Rodriguez. Like, there's no short if he wants to take that challenge for that next step. Uh, but the guy is the real deal. I'm excited for him. Yeah. No, he's a really nice guy. I've had the pleasure of covering a few of his fights and speaking with him once. And he uh, he has a bright future ahead of him. So, Julian Hammerhands Rodriguez at 140 pounds. Let's see more of him. Uh, so, on PBC, we had Sean Porter with a 12-round shutout over German-based uh, Sebastian Formella, he won a minor alphabet WBC title, putting himself back in the picture for a top-notch 147-pound fight if he was ever out of the picture. Uh, he did what he had to do. Some people have compared it to a sparring match uh, with a guy that was game but really was just not in the same league as him. And not many guys are. Sean Porter is cream of the crop at 147. Uh, his losses have been close losses, even against the likes of Earl Spence, Um the likes of Keith Thurman, Kel Brook. You know, he's um he's a top fighter and very few people remember this about him, but you know, this is a guy that at amateur, uh, even at his stature, was at 165 pounds, uh, once beating the likes of Danny Jacobs at <laughs> at yeah. that weight class. So, you know, he's a strong physical guy. And I think he still showed last night that he has the goods to give any of the fighters at the top of the weight class a big challenge. One thing I always enjoy about, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, Sean Porter, right? Like him coming down from as an amateur, all the way down from like the 165. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like all the way down to 147 isn't unheard of, but like also considering how tall he is. Yeah. Uh, but his physicality is always just so much fun to watch. I did have, a, I usually always have a complaint about him. Uh, smothering his punches but last night you know there wasn't too much of a threat from Formella so he was able to work on his boxing act boxing skills and that's something that you know if anyone ever like YouTube's a video of Sean Porter sparring it's very usually sometimes different than his actual fights at least at the elite level like he can box like he knows how to box his defense is solid he knows how to set up his punch his combinations with jab with his jab yeah. Uh, but last night, you know, Formella, it, it was unfortunate. It just seemed more like a sparring session. But I think it was just more of he's earned that fight, right? Like an easier fight, <laughs> right? Like he just got off of what, a, a couple month layoff after, you know, fighting Errol Spence. And that was grueling. He's fought Yugos. He's always been at the top of the division. 
but last night it, it was good to see him just kind of working on his craft, kind of a stay busy fight. Yeah, he'll he'll burn himself out easily if if no one if no one manages him correctly and and veers him away from fighting the likes of Earl Spence and Ugas and and Thurman and everybody just back to back. He's that type of fighter that loves to fight. But I've really seen a lot of improvement in his boxing ability over the last few years. I know a lot of people note the Danny Garcia victory uh, as one of the clear-cut signs that his boxing acumen is definitely improving. A lot of people didn't expect him to outbox Danny Garcia the way he did, but he did. And uh, he he has the boxing acumen to be a different type of threat to even the likes of Terrence Crawford, if, if Crawford ever fights a PBC fighter. So I, I think there's a lot to look forward to at 147, just like there's a lot to look forward to at 154. Uh, Sebastian Fundora being one of the prospects there. He's six foot five and a half. Uh, what is he called? The Towering Inferno? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, can't believe this guy is so tall. Yeah. He's uh, he's not only so tall, he's knocking out guys that have never been knocked out before, like Nat Gallimore. Uh, he was the first to knock him out. He took him out in the sixth round, I believe. Uh, Gallimore just had no answers to the physicality, the size, the leverage that Fundora generates. His legs are so skinny, but his arms are so long, and he's punching you all over the place and um yeah terrific performance terrific victory and uh what do you expect from him next uh i have no idea i just enjoy watching him fight this yeah. I, and i think it's more so just for the spectacle of this guy is six foot five and a half fighting at 154 pounds uh the only real time like when i first heard about him and i want to do this is i i wasn't too i didn't know anything about him but there's a guy at the gym that I'm currently at that, that fought him uh, named Donnie Marshall out of uh, where, where's he from? He's out of uh, somewhere in New York. Um, but anyway, I remember talking to the coach that was training Donnie Marshall and saying, yo, man, what happened that night? And he says, we just didn't expect him to be so strong. He's yeah. tall, thin, but the frame that he has and crazy enough that he doesn't fight like what you would expect him to do, right? He's tall. So you think he'd be fighting boxing on the outside, but he wants to get on the inside. And (laughs) the way he just able to load up on power shots while he's standing right in front of you is insane because it knocked out Donnie Marshall with with an uppercut. And it wasn't even necessarily he used his hip. It was kind of like he just flicked an uppercut and he just put him on the rear end. Yeah, he's 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 punching at angles that people are. There's really no way to train for it unless you're sparring with the guy directly because he's such a physical freak. And like you point out, I mean, he's nothing like Tommy Hearns, who is abnormally tall for 147 and 154. He's not only taller. Uh, yeah, he doesn't stay on the outside and use his jab. He's just swarming you with activity, and uh, the punches he hits you with happen to hurt like hell. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's there's a lot of upside for this kid. Uh, of course, he needs to sharpen up on his defense a little bit and, and, and maybe use his size a little better than he's accustomed to so far when he fights more elite-level 154-pound opposition. Of course, by then, we'll see how well he takes a punch. But uh, there's a lot to work with, and I, I think it's uh, probably an exciting time if you're in Camp Fundora. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see if he if he does switch it up a little bit, if uh, he starts to learn how to uh, use his reach and, his, and that length. But part of me is thinking, like, you know, I mean, he's still he's still young. He's 22. So it is possible. But if he's making these transitions to more elite competition, you know, do you want to change what's working for you? Yeah, uh, that's to be seen, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, we still got to see how well he takes a punch. 
Uh, we didn't really see too much of that last night. Of course, Gallimore got in a couple good shots, but uh, against you know the likes of maybe an Erickson Lubin or or the Charlo brothers, if he gets that far, uh, you know these guys can really crack. There's a lot of big punchers at 154, uh, and lately they've all been uh, not hesitant about getting getting in the ring with each other. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the title picture uh, within a year or so. I would say uh, the light middleweight division is another division that's just like they they are sworn they're circling each other is what I should say, uh, which just makes for exciting matchups. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, or it seems like rather that it's another division with a PBC stronghold, but unlike 147, it's a PBC stronghold that favors making the best fights. Doesn't exclude a guy like Terence Crawford uh, from the other camp at ESPN. Seems like PBC really. Uh, has has their hands full and has the power to make some great action fights at 154 because all the best fighters at 154 more or less are PBC fighters and um, yeah there's uh, go PBC <laughs> they're doing they're doing it right right now I gotta say right now they 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 have it they have it going for them of course there's uh, some big fights next month Erickson Lubin and Terrell Gaucher. uh one uh, PBC unification fight between Jason Rosario and Jermel Charlo. Um, a lot of big fights to look forward to next month uh, and a big fight to look forward to next week on ESPN with Jose Ramirez and Victor Postal. Uh, so yeah, boxing is back. Uh, get used to it, everybody who doubted boxing's comeback. And uh, I, I kind of like this new thing, this whole this whole um, no fans and and uh, <laughs> this new normal in the boxing world. It's 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 different, but it's working so far. I appreciate being able to hear the cornermen in between yeah. the rounds as well as like during the fight, uh, as well as hearing the fighters on the inside. You know, sometimes we do, we, we can't hear the audio of when they're actually talking smack to one another, but now, is, now if they did, we can, we have access to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh there's different realities of the squared circle that we are getting a closer look at now than we were before. Uh, so keep bringing these triple headers on to zone ESPN showtime. And, and please don't be hesitant about matching the best against each other from these, uh, networks. I don't think they're as rival networks as in the times of HBO and showtime, but the more intermingling, the better, because this is a really exciting time to be a boxing fan, especially when the pandemic is over. Uh, but yeah, that just about wraps up what we experienced last night on August 22nd. That is the weekend that was, the fight report. I highly recommend everybody check it out if you haven't already. Some of the highlights of last night's fights, the whole fights. Uh, it was a very dramatic evening. So thanks, Jeffrey, for joining me, and I look forward to talking to you next time. Awesome. See you then.